I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. I'm Thomas O'Neill White. I'm Angelie Preston. We need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is What's Next. A dedicated hour to have important conversations about the issues facing the marginalized and underrepresented communities of Western New York and Southern Ontario. We're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truth. What's Next continues our mission to discuss race, equity, and the common concerns of Buffalo's East Side and beyond. In the suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. Welcome to What's Next. Today we have the editor and the publisher of Buffalo Latino Village with us, Alberto Capas. Nice to have you with us. Thank you for the invitation. I'm very and, happy to be here. And the editor, Solomon Joseph. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jay. All right. Let's talk. Of, let's just get into the origins of Buffalo Latino Village, first and foremost. From where did it start? Well, that, that's a short story and a long story. I'll try to <laughs> yeah, go in find, the middle. <laughs> find a nice little sweet spot <laughs> yeah, in between. I, um, when I first came back to Buffalo, uh, relocated back in 2012, and uh, I had a seizure, so it took me a while to kind of nurse the, uh, the healing process. And, uh, and then um, in the year when I started realizing uh, the, uh, the local Latino community, I started, you know, traveling around, researching it because I used to live here and kind of re- recapture my memories. And I started realizing that there was a lot of lack of information, hmm. a lot of lack of information. There were two and uh, other Latino publications, but they were not providing the kind of information that it wanted, well, the community would need it. Okay. Uh, there was no real platform for freedom of expression. There was no platform for independence. Everything was kind of political control. Uh, so I went back and told my kids, I'm going to have to start a publication again, because I used to publish other publications in the past. And my daughters, when they brought me back to Buffalo, they... They try to make me promise them that I will not get involved in anything. I would just retired and enjoy my retirement. <laughs> and I told I'd think about that, you know. But when I came back, I just started seeing that I needed to reactivate my activism in Buffalo. I could not just retire. So um, I started publishing the uh, Buffalo Latino Village in 2017. Okay. was the first issue. I started with four pages. Uh, from four pages in uh, two years, it went up to eight pages, uh, and then from eight pages went to twelve pages, which we have now. You know, wow. and basically the publication, you know, uh, is a platform to advocate and to provide information of what's going on in the city of Buffalo and how that affects the Puerto Rican Latino community. It's really access to information, you know, community planning, uh, talking about uh, access to job opportunities, where are the jobs. Uh, who's making the decisions about what, you know, and also providing uh, poets and writers and artists an opportunity to to publish and exhibit their work. Buffalo is a very elitist community when it comes to the arts. Hmm. Uh, so we have been able to open up those channels to local uh, emerging poets, writers, artists, you know. So we're an avenue for that, you know. We advocate, we, we set things in motion, right? you know, and then you take it from there. But I, I, you know, I've been very confident and very happy 
with what uh, how far we have come with the publication. Yeah, if you've expanded to 12 pages, that uh, yeah. speaks volumes, doesn't right. it, in a lot of ways. Well, how about for you, Solomon, your, your, your story? How did uh, you end up at uh, Buffalo Latino Village? Oh, it was by accident. I uh, went to use the restroom as Jim's Steakhouse, <laughs> picked up the paper and uh, said, uh, let me call this paper because I, I wanted to connect with a Puerto Rican dance and performance group. So in New York City, I taught, performed, and hosted a lot of those um, heritage international festivals you see in schools. And what I would do is round up my performance buddies from different cultures and really present a story. And so when I got to Buffalo, I said, I can't find a Latino community. Then when I picked up the paper, my goal was to really get a hold of the dance uh, performance group. But when I spoke with him, left him a message, he called me back and said, hey, let's meet and talk more. So I thought this was a good opportunity to really understand the makeup of the community. So we sat down, and um, first thing he proposed was an article. He said, you have this program, which I call Manifest Diversity. Um, he said, why don't you write a column and introduce um, what diversity is, what it means for people, and where do you see us going with diversity? And I opened up a column about really helping other cultures understand who the Latino community was and who the Asian community was and different other ethnicities, which I felt through my experience is always sort of a disconnect, whether someone introduces them or someone sees some kind of media material that they're like, oh, I want to learn more. I sort of present a goal to bridge that. And, and through articles, through avenues and performing shows, I had a show lined up that I want to present which um, I'll mention later on. Sure. That it's really part of this grand celebration of cultures that I found. You, you said something, and I, I'm going to throw this question uh, back out to both of you, and we'll start with you, Alberto. Um, you just heard Solomon say, you know, he wanted to know who, or wanted to say or express who is the Latino community. Well, express it to me from your thoughts. Uh, I, the Latino community, basically, when you. Uh, the majority of the Latino community is Puerto Rican, okay. first of all. I would say 90% plus of the Latino community is Puerto Rican, uh, mostly concentrated in, in the, uh, on the Lower West Side. That's, that's the Latino community. The, the rest of the, the small pocket of Dominican-Americans and the Cubans, and then the rest of Latin America from South America. But the majority of the Latino population in Buffalo, New York, is Puerto Rican. Yeah, actually, I have an issue because we talked about a lot of the uh, Latino organizations in Buffalo uh, ad, uh, address themselves as to Hispanic, right. Hispanically, Hispanic, uh, womensly. Everything is Hispanic, Hispanic. Right. I particularly, you know, uh, don't like the term Hispanic. Uh, Hispanic has roots in Spain, and uh, Spain are responsible for what they did to my ancestors. They're responsible for enslaving Puerto Rico. They're responsible for what happens with Taino Indians. And I don't think I will give the Hispanics the honor for me to call myself Hispanic American. That is a very powerful statement yeah. there, and I yeah. appreciate that. But yeah. I'll, I'll turn the question and let Solomon answer his, his own person. So then, like you said, you saw you went out to, to explain who is the Latino community. So yeah, what is your So what was your explanation? So it was the identity that people self-identify as. So when I grew up, it was Puerto Ricans, it was Dominicans, it was Cubans, 
it was Venezuelans, you know, it was Mexicans. So when we try to generalize an identity, we lose the, the individual differences. And in New York City, I hear the word melting pot a, a lot. But through reading and other experiences, I realize it's more of a salad bowl mm. because you're, you're inviting and you're getting a feel and taste of different ingredients, which can be described as people offering the same type of cultural experience. Um, so we don't lose the, the, the single identity that makes everyone unique, and we trace that to language. We trace that to the dialects, the way we talk, communicate, hand gesture, body language. So that represents a culture, and those are tribes. You know, now my ancestors are from India, but growing up in New York City, being born and raised, I encountered the Latino community, the black and African community, the Asian community, and uh, the Jewish community. So this was what I saw as, as the salad bowl for me. So learning and experiencing and picking up the languages. I didn't know I was able to embrace other cultures, the language, um, the lifestyles, um, the dialects, and I infused that into my way of being, and I became a dance teacher from that mm. just by experience. Wow. So teaching, so learning dance, performing dance, and then teaching it, and really finding a, a common denominator to say if we just open ourselves to embrace others, maybe that can be the first spark for invitation, and that's exactly how I got pulled in with the Latino Village starting off as a columnist and ending up becoming an editor and now managing hmm. uh, the, the publication. How do you describe, when people ask you about the uh, Buffalo Latino Village, how do you describe it to them, Alberto? Well, first of all, the, uh, although we call it the Latino Village, uh, people need to know we have over eight columnists. And uh, one of the, two of the columnists are white. Mm -hmm. We used to have two black columnists, they're gone. Uh, I didn't throw them out. They just slept on their own. <laughs> but we have we have <laughs> Tough to uh, keep good people. several. You know, we have a, a Dominican American columnist. Oh, okay. So we, you know, so we we are we are a rainbow. You know, we're open. Uh, so I mean, we're not yes a Latino publication or a Puerto right. Rican publication. We, you know, we just that's the name of the village. That's the name of Latino yeah. Village. You know, right. it's just like having uh, a footprint to to it's the legacy of the publication. But it's open to everyone, and uh, the, our readership proves that. You know, we, yeah. get, we get a lot of good feedback, a lot of comments. You know, and also I think it speaks a lot in the sense that you have these different people with different perspectives who want to get their viewpoints out. Yeah, well, that's the uh, one of the keys is providing platforms, not just for Alberto Capa, who's the publisher, to manipulate. And, and give a platform, uh, the publication is there as an avenue for young emerging people to be part of it and giving them the platform they never had. Right. Know? So it's giving them that opportunity, that power to be able to utilize their voice and to reach the, the, the community, the segment of the community through the avenues of the Latino Village. And are there common themes that we see inside there from the columnists? I mean, are they... More concerned with local issues, national issues, cultural issues. Well, they 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 all have their own perspective and their own interest in terms of their own experience, and we allow them to mm -hmm. have to have that. Because uh, when they first come on board, we make it very clear that it's it's their column. You know, uh, they're not writing for me to censor them. 
you know, uh, to uh, edit it to a point that it changes the content of what they want to say. Uh, so, you know, they have that power, and then always they call them. You know, the only thing we do is just correct the English, the grammar. Here and there. Sure. <laughs> okay. But it's, it's a count. So, some, um, one, uh, the, uh, we have a Helica Kinos from Florida who okay. writes a column for us. And uh, although she's Dominican American, she's very interested in writing about Puerto Rican. So, she spends a lot of time writing about Puerto, Puerto Rican issues. Okay. You know, uh, we have another writer who, has called, she calls it uh, college spotlight. And she basically writes about individuals uh, who have achieved and accomplished things in the Buffalo Latino community. So every month she's highlighting an individual. Uh, then we have another uh, individual, Taya Rodriguez, who also has the column called uh, La Hispana. And she also highlights uh, Latina women in, uh, who have achieved uh, Things in the in the business community, education, you know, and so on. Uh, can you add to that in terms of uh, the other? Yeah, writers? we also um, have on board a, a documentary filmmaker uh, who right. who was raised in the, uh, born and raised in Buffalo, moved to Florida, Florida, and now is back. And um, he really celebrates the sort of uh, the data and the research that is sometimes missed. Um, for our community because that leads us into the real problem that's going on, a collection of what's going on. It's not just one or two voices. This is what's going on and affecting the whole community, and these are the numbers to prove that. And he created a documentary um, called Boricua Soyo, and it was uh, well-received uh, because of the the touch of Buffalo and his um, – hometown of the uh, on the west side and really going nationally so our writers really focus on national issues but with a, a community focus because sometimes the national issues affect what's going on locally most you know certainly. whatever's going on in, in New York City most yeah. likely going to affect New York state so right. yeah. you know and vice versa so they focus on community aspects and and also comment on what's going on in case people are wondering you know, what, what do we have to say as a community on, on larger issues? I want to see, uh, if you could, uh, Solomon, maybe just give me an idea of what it's like. Cause there's a generational gap here between you and Alberto, as there is between me and you as well. I will <laughs> have to mention that as well. But is there, are there things that you learn? Are there uh, understandings that you get from working with someone like Alberto? Oh, absolutely. A, a huge uh, library of wisdom from from his time and the huge difference that we see growing up. I mean, I'm a, a millennial, you know, and today's my birthday. I'm 38 today. Happy birthday, <laughs> 38. Yeah, man, you're young. Well, you know, I try to be young, and, and I think we feed, feed off of each other in okay. terms of the wisdom because if we look at um, the 70s and 80s, it was a, a real revolutionary time of ideas, of movements that we are taking advantage today. So because of those struggles, we are able to to really utilize that knowledge in a way that we may have taken it for granted. So the libraries, the books we read, the access that we have now is, is a result of the struggles that Alberto's time and era went through. And so I really take that as a, a thanksgiving of, of sorts of, of what we're able to see and accomplish and also not lose that that library of thought, you know. So 
whatever I've learned about the Latino community, the history, the struggles, you know, I want to pass that on to, to others as an educator. You know, I want to really tell that side of the story that sometimes often gets left out. You know, it's easy for me to get uh, uh, go down the wormhole of history. Mm-hmm. And Alberto, it I just it intrigued me how Solomon talked about how you came of age maybe at a little different time where things weren't maybe as yeah, as well, easy. Yeah, I'm well, I'm, I'm, I'm a product of the 60s and right. 70s. I, uh, what was it like for you in the 60s? Wow, it's very exciting, <laughs> yeah. very educational, very informative. When I came to University of Buffalo, I was really kind of prepared to deal with the, what was going on in the world, in the country. Because I in uh, New York City, I graduated from a school ho- called Harlem Prep. Harlem Prep is uh, not very well-known, has a history, has a legacy, and there's been a lot of books written about it. Uh, I was um, graduated from high school with a general diploma with nowhere to go, you know, and uh, Harlem Prep uh, kind of recruited me and uh, gave me a lot of information about the history, uh, black history, uh, American history, uh, worked with me to understand who I was as a, as a human being, as a Puerto Rican, as a spiritual being, uh, understanding my purpose on the planet. You know, So that, that was a, good, a bunch of goodies that I was able to internalize. And um, when I came to Buffalo, I, I was, you know, I was I well packaged understanding that. So I immediately, joined the movement, you know, to change the world. I uh, I was the founder of the first Puerto Rican student organization at the University of Buffalo. I uh, was part of the Attica Service Committee, you know. That um, was a hell of an experience. I, uh, you got to be careful. I, I part, might start asking about all these. Yeah. We won't be talking to Solomon yeah. or so, but please continue. I, yeah, <laughs> I was part of the uh, uh, bringing in more uh, Puerto Rican Latino students to university, uh, kind of protesting against the university administration to recruit more minority students. Uh, I'm indirectly, directly responsible for the uh, development of the Puerto Rican Studies Department at that time, uh, bringing in students to the medical school, law school. Uh, Also became associate director of the Office of Minority Student Affairs uh, when I graduated, which was an office that I helped create while I was a student. You know, then we developed the four hours of programming the BFO, mm-hmm. you know. So with all that experience, then when I graduated, uh, besides working at the University of Buffalo, I was very heavily involved with the local Puerto Rican Latino community. That really was my introduction to local politics, you know. I, what was it like, though, being a minority student at the University of Buffalo in the late 60s? I didn't, I didn't feel like a minority, you right. know. I... Uh, the only time I feel like a minority is when the administration was denying uh, people of color uh, opportunities to be part of the university community. Other than that, I had a lot of support from white students, black students, you know, and plus I was, I was proud of who I was, you know, so I didn't have any hang-ups or worry about that. But I knew there was a lot of problems, you know. I, and, um, I mean, I got arrested once or twice for inciting to riot, uh, protest, things like that. Uh, you know, part of the movement. It was, I mean, it was a very exciting uh, era. I, today, you know, I'm 78 years old, and I think of uh, most of the things that a lot of students uh, during that time sacrificed 
to make those opportunities and benefits available today. And I get upset, you know, because students take, like you say, it takes things for granted. Right. They take things for granted. That's a lot of, even um, a lot of the young leaders today who are manipulating and mistreating or uh, just taking advantage and growing at the back of the uh, community don't realize that they had those opportunities because people like me made those things possible, you know. So people don't see the link, you know. So, you know, so it's it's uh it's a slap in the face to the '60s generation to see things like that. We're talking today on uh, what's next with uh, the publisher Alberto Capas and the editor uh, Solomon Joseph of Buffalo Latino Village. Uh, I will ask you, editor Solomon Joseph. Uh, I hear Alberto talking about, uh, and it's clear that 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 sense of. Uh, activism from the, the late 60s. Do you feel like it that shows up in uh, Buffalo Latino Village? Oh, absolutely. If uh, you get a chance to browse through the past issue, it's always a call to action that this is the problem, this is what we need to do. Even if someone is writing about, you know, flowers and gardens, they'll say even they are struggling to stay alive, um, waiting for the sun and the rain. So our columnists really try to make an effort to reach out to the community and engage them in some sort of way, whether they want to write a poem, whether they want to create music, whether they want to create short biopics of things that matter, that will set a long generation of, of history that should be passed down. So I see that in the Latilo Village almost monthly. We are a monthly issue. Right. And our website will archive all of our content that is labeled as the pillars of business and economic development, arts and culture, community advocacy. And uh, we try to have a central theme of what the community wants to see or what they want to change or what they wish for others uh, to learn more about any uh problems and possibly with the solutions we can come up with. Well, then let's, you, you opened up a nice nice subject matter there, and we can have this conversation between the three of us. What does the community want to change? So it's showing up in the Buffalo Latino Village. What are some of those things that, that, we're, that are those hot topics, those things that you, you know? I'm, I'm sure when you print it, when you publish this, you're getting responses, and you know when you're hitting that, that nerve. Well, I'm going to relay that yeah. question to Alberto. Yeah, I was going to say what, what you were talking about, that the, uh, there's two things that we're now, uh, two projects that we just added to the Buffalo Latino Village, and also based on need. One of the things that's happening also in the city of Buffalo is that we know more about what's happening in the white community than the white community <laughs> knows what's happening in the Latino community. And uh, the problem with that or why that problem exists is that, unfortunately, in the political arena, you could have good representation or you could have bad representation. Or you could have, yes, representation because those who are leading uh, don't have the awareness or the skills or the talent to lead. Sometimes it's intentional, sometimes not intentional. So we, we, um, we develop, for example, uh, a Latino Speakers Bureau. We want to link, we want the white community to know who is the Latino community? What are our desires? What do we want? You know, how do we want to fit in? 
how do we want you to fit in? You know? So we're trying to develop that link and open those avenues so that the white community becomes aware of who is the Latino community, who are the professionals, who are our students, who are our architects, who are our scientists, our psychologists, you know. So we want to do that. Right. Okay? The other thing that we started doing, and uh, it goes back to, to the art piece, is that we saw a lot of uh, Latinos who like to paint, like to, uh, and uh, they're not having the opportunity to get their work exposed at a platform. Uh, mentioning uh, the uh, art in this town is very elitist, so it's tough to break through. So we're providing that opportunity for Latino artists, which is dire need. The other thing we started doing is that we are seeing a lot of Latinos are self-publishing, and they're spending a lot of money because if, if you don't understand the publishing industry, you get taken mm. by vanity presses. Mm -hmm. So to... Uh, we have reached out to a lot of the Latino writers in our community and tried to inform them. We have published articles about, you know, legitimate publishing and self-publishing. So we have developed a Latino Village Press uh, component. So we have published a few writers, mm -hmm. and we'd like to publish more, you know. So, you know, we're doing that. So those, those are two basic needs, you know. But basically, you know, a Latino community needs the same thing everybody needs, access to information, uh, opportunities, uh, uh, job opportunities, quality jobs, you know. So that's what the Buffalo Latino Village is trying to do, is to advocate and open those avenues of information. And also education. One, one of our columnists uh, dedicates her life and her column to write about the healing process from a spiritual perspective, you know. So that's bringing information, a different point of view to, to, to the community, you know. Uh, talking about spiritualism and uh, our, our position or our space in the planet and who we are, spiritual beings and whatnot, those are things that necessarily conversations don't take place in, in, uh, in many communities, kind of isolated. So we're trying to bring that out to the, to the public, you know at least to expose those subject matters, you know. So, so basically, you know, what we need is access to information, and the Latino Village serves as the platform to advocate for that, make it happen. And I, I certainly appreciate that at, at the same time. Are there, and, and you touched on a couple of issues, but I, I'm wondering if there's others, though, that the Latino community knows more about the white community in Buffalo than the white community knows about Mm -hmm. The Latino community. What you know? What are the things that that seem to really you know beyond some of those things that are really hot buttons? Well, again, the the individual identities. You know, if you look at the makeup of the Caribbean, which includes the islands of Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, even Haiti and Jamaica, they are centered. You know, a little bit close uh, to the U.S. Whereas you look at Latin America and and South America, you'll see. Every country has their own language, culture, and, and way of life. So the generalization piece, I think, is important to really make that distinction. Okay. So even the root word of Latino has a long history, as Alberto explained, of, of why he prefers uh, to be called a Latino. Um, so I think that's going to be a long discussion. And you know, a publication like ours can really Keep have recurring going. Yeah. themes going and even the evolution of those ideas and names. Now you'll see um, Latinx, Latine, right. and those mm -hmm. are, are gender inclusive 
and and really gives you a background of, of who prefers to be called what. So it's not up to the media or an organization to define or put a label. It's really up to the individual. So we invite that in our in our publication. And also in honor of Black History Month, we are as much tied uh, to the black and African experience than most people know. Which comes, we, we, we are, we, again, we know more about blacks than blacks know about me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if you we see the black, the back page of the Buffalo Latino Village, okay. the whole page is dedicated oh, yes, is. to our yeah. contributions as Afro Puerto Ricans. Or Afro Latinos. <laughs> Afro Latinos, <Right>. yeah. <laughs> Um, how about this uh, for a topic to uh, to kind of kick around? And I, I, Alberto, you know you you know you've got a little more experience um, than you do, Solomon. But are barriers of understanding breaking down, or are they still just now? When you say barriers of breaking barriers down, of understanding, like we we were just talking how we went from a white community doesn't know as much about the Latino communities, that, you know, but are those barriers of understanding they're breaking down or are they still just as large or think, are they different I, I think they're different in the sense that, I mean they're not they're not as harsh or as, but they, I don't think they, they have broken down no I don't I mean I I live in the lower west side and I think that's one of the most diversified area in Buffalo people do get along with each other people smile at each other people say hello good morning how are you doing uh, when I leave the lower west side and go to other parts of Buffalo, Kenmore, Amherst, you don't see that harmony. You don't see it. Uh, you see it in the Lower West Side, you know. So I, I, I guess, but uh, no, we still have a lot of work to do. Sure. Bringing people together. That's, uh, when it comes to living together, I think there's a lot of hypocrisy, a lot of contradiction. Uh, a lot of times we pretend just for the comfort of it, you know. But uh, we really need to learn how to love each other and really appreciate each other. We are all come from the same roots. We all uh, a gift from God, from the universe, you know. And people have to begin to realize that, you know. I see you shaking your head in affirmation there, Solomon. Well, I mean, again, it's the wisdom that he's collected over his experience um, can really attest to, I think, the change that Alberto wants to see. Um, but you know, being an educator and really exploring ways to educate the community, I think when when other organizations uh, celebrate uh, Latino History Month, you know, they they have a chance to really explore the foundation, the deeper history, the cultures, but it's only limited to a month. So I think there should be a recurring theme in an effort to challenge the barriers or break the barriers right. in terms of doing outreach, understanding who we are affiliated with, understanding the other connections that we're able to make. And there's so many connections we've built based on the themes that we've centered around that we want at least a service or an organization for each cause back to the, the information that we want to provide, whether it's coming from the city, whether it's coming um, other parts of, of Buffalo, we want to be a bridge. So we are in the discussion and um, the solution to to break those barriers. Yeah, when you mentioned Hispanic Heritage Month, uh, I think that something... Which right off the bat, you have a problem with the title. That's something we should do every day, not, not, not uh, one dedicated month. The, uh, the contradiction with Hispanic Heritage Month, and I guess it's different in New York City, different in Rochester, but here in Buffalo... 
Hispanic Heritage Month, it's really, in terms of the celebration, events, and activities, it's really controlled politically, hmm. all right? In the sense that if you look at all the events that take place for the month of Hispanic Heritage Month in Buffalo, it's all singing and dancing, all singing and dancing. But there's no workshops, no seminars to talk about who are we as Puerto Ricans, who are we as Latinos, what's the difference between Dominican, Puerto Rican. I mean, we need to those discussions. You need to educate. And, you know, just you need that education. People need to learn who they are. You know, uh, Hispanic Heritage Month, talk about... The uh, all the Latin American countries got the independence in September. That the, actually Hispanic Heritage Month in September was designed that day because that's the month where all the uh, Latin American countries got the independence. Okay. Well, not Puerto Rico. So right. why is Puerto Rico celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month? So these are the discussions that have to take place. But you need to build a platform for people to talk to each other and educate each other. So that's. One thing that's been thinking about for Hispanic Heritage Month, all they do is sing and dance, sing and dance. They don't have seminar, they don't have workshop, they don't they don't have provocative subject matters to really enhance the community. And do you see the one you have? I'm sure people engage in with you all the time. That there is a thirst, though, for that kind of dialogue. Absolutely, we just held our our very first community planning event last week. Oh, really? And that was really understanding if we want to focus more on the west side or if we want to open up new pockets or new avenues of um, integration or migration where cultures can really not only know about the west side but have an opportunity to know all of Buffalo. Yeah, yeah. The uh, one of the things again, uh, one of the uh, the advocacy of the Buffalo Latino Village that we we, we started looking at. Uh, community planning, uh, we started looking at the city's uh, four-year plan for economic, business, housing development. And that's one subject, one issue that we have been kept out of. When I say we, the Latino community, has not uh, played a big role mm. or role in, in that process. Uh, I'm sure that there are some leaders from that community, from the community, that have played a role but they have not played a role to really benefit the whole community. They play a role to benefit a few. You have, mm -hmm. It's like an inner circle, a clique, and I like that to stop. I like to see the community really benefit. Right. So one of the discussions or some of the discussions that are coming up now, uh, we're able to get some people together, is that in community planning, you have the Lower West Side, where you have the... Hey, uh, just like, let's make sure, identify the Lower <coughs> West Side, what you mean by it, if you don't mind. Well, the majority of the... the uh, when you talk about the uh, Puerto Rican Latino community, right. it's really concentrated in the Lower West Side. Right. But because... So areas, of, Niagara Street... Right. 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 There yeah. should Niagara be a, a pamphlet with uh, detailing the specs and route information, yeah. I right. think, in the little right. package. Right. Yeah. So we're talking about Allen Street, Elmwood. Let me finish this point for The... Uh, the Lower West Side is known, identified as the Puerto Rican community. Sure. Okay. Right. Now, because of gentrification, Latinos started moving to the Upper West Side, and basically moving to the Riverside, Riverside. area. Right. And that's that's the difference. So the discussion is because of community planning, uh, we're talking about business economic development with an art theme or whatever. So now the question is: Should we do it in the Lower West Side or should we do it in Riverside? 
with Latinos moving to. So it's, that's going to need a lot of discussions, you know, and get people together because it, it's, it's a difficult issue. But my the concern is that the Lower West Side, which has, for example, uh, they have the, the uh, Hispanic Heritage Institute that's being developed. It's right. being sponsored by the Hispanic Heritage Council. Um, that's there. But people moving out of there. So if you concentrate all your eggs in one basket and develop the Lower West Side, who are you developing the West Side, the Lower West Side for? Because it may not end up being there a might be Latino Latinos community. There. Right. On the other hand, Latinos moving up to Riverside. So that's an area to look at because it might be the area where you really have to concentrate and invest in developing. There is an organization there called the uh, Ebate Puerto Rican Center, and they're a marvelous organization. They do a lot of great things, and they come the closest to doing the kind of things that we're talking about, you know, identity, knowing who you are, workshops, seminars. They, they, they're not afraid to get out the comfort zone. They deal with those issues. They sponsored AOC to come up and do a presentation. Uh, they had another a political Puerto Rican a political prisoner, uh, Lopez, who also came up. But they, and the community loved it. A lot of people there, and that's one organization that has a lot of support from Latinos. So when you deal with the question of community development, you have to look at the Lower West Side and Riverside, and that's what. Right, and I think in to. in the publication, if you oh, open up inside, in the yeah. middle of the publication, there should be a sheet right. that that gives. Um, I think it's stapled. Right, um, give, should give you a nice uh, um, idea about our reach. Right, you know our our routes, you know an overview of of where we're we're focusing on, uh, because it begs a larger question. You know, if if our community and population grows, where would be able to open up other avenues of arts, culture, and more community development. Because at one point, you know, the West Side can be, you know, uh, densely populated, right. and then, you know, where where else can, can they go for better opportunities? If you're talking about housing, you know, um, according to our community, the housing market is ridiculously high. Mm. Maybe they cannot afford a house right. on the West Side. You know, how long are they gonna rent for until they're able to have some independence of being a homeowner? So that's part of the community planning that we want to be able to set the stage um, for the next wave of, of Latinos who want to become, you know, growing families or growing professionals and the opportunities. So we want to be the advocacy group for that. And as he mentioned, the El Bate Puerto Rican Center is, is a great organization to really implement those ideas because they bring in culture. They bring in good ideas. They bring in people to help them uh, move the the agenda forward. And right. we're trying to create an agenda that benefits all, not just a few. And when you were talking about El Bate and the uh, the political prisoner they brought in, you said the community loved it. What, what do you think caught that spirit? What what what, what was the connection? Do you the think? Hung, the hunger for information. Just more information. The hunger that for information. To- yeah, and the hunger to to meet people who, who are in the national scene, like AOC. Everybody would just love to, you know, talk to her and meet her. Uh, same thing with Lopez. I mean, so it's really the hunger for information. Okay. The hunger to learn. 
And that's missing. It, you know, uh, I, I, I joke with Tolum and I said, man, my community's a flat beer. <laughs> <laughs> they need to put some more bubbles and sparkling stuff. Yeah, you don't like flat beer, that's for sure. <laughs> hey, uh, let's, uh, let's take a time out. We'll come back with more. We're talking with uh, the publisher and editor uh, of uh, Buffalo Latino Village. With us, Solomon uh, Joseph is the editor. Alberto Capas is the publisher. This is What's Next on WBFO. You're listening to What's Next, our place to discuss the important issues of our communities of Western New York and Southern Ontario. We want to hear from you. Click on the Talk to Us option in the WBFO app, and we will work to get your questions or comments on the air. Do you have a story or concern that we should be addressing? Email us using what's next at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. We're back on What's Next with us, Alberto Capas and uh, Solomon Joseph. Solomon is the editor of Buffalo Latino Village. Alberto is the uh, uh, publisher of it. Hey, you know, a lot to talk about in terms of art uh, when it comes to your connection here. Uh, You have an online gallery. Uh, for artists. I want to really talk about this because I know a couple have already touched upon it a, a mm-hmm. few times here, Alberto, trying to lean us into this arts part of this conversation. Talk about, uh, you've talked about the need because you feel like there's not enough, I guess, exposure or, or representation to uh, artists. No, there isn't. That, that resource is missing. I think we, we uh, when you look at the uh, Latino community, there's a place called El Museo del Barrio. That's located on Allen Street. It's a small art gallery. Uh, they don't really cater too much to, you know, it's not their fault. It's, again, it's the lack of information and access, mm-hmm. but they do have a museo and they do have art exhibits. Uh, many of the art exhibits are not uh, Latino artists. Uh, they bring artists from other places. It, um, there is another group that develops called the Artistas de Barrio, and they're a group composed of artists, uh, poets, and writers. It's a fairly new group. But they they're all doing a great job. Okay. The uh, but there's a need, you know. There is a, a a need, so we need more people to join the bandwagon and bring that exposure. And that's why we develop the outline Latino Art Gallery. Okay. Uh, we have around 20 artists that we have who are members. Uh, we continue to get more as we go along. The uh, we already had, although it's an outline art gallery, we do exhibit in places. Uh, we already had, we had two exhibits at the uh, Buffalo uh, Art Space on Main Street, and we also oh, had sure. two. Yeah. Uh, we exhibited twice at the Bate Puerto Rican Center. Uh, so we want to continue doing that. We want to give these artists an exposure uh, to people to appreciate, understand who they are as artists, and also to expose uh, Latino art to the general community. Are you seeing? something that connects this art beyond personal self-expression, that that there are themes of maybe that relate to the community that you're seeing in some of this art? Well, the, the one thing I have experienced is that most of the artists that we have, uh, Puerto Rican Latino artists, they're abstract painters. Oh. And I know the people have been commenting they want to see realism. They want to, so there's a lack of that. We need to attract and uh, work with artists who are not just uh, into abstract painting. 
So you said there's about 20 artists that... Uh, we have 20 artists. Uh, who, can you tell me, what can you tell they, me about some of they, them? They're local artists. But we are, because of the exposure, because we're also on social media, right? Uh, Facebook, Instagram. So we're getting... We have like three or four artists who are not local. They're from New York City. Uh, one is from Florida. I think we have one from California, you know. And uh, we have others that we're looking at to be part of the uh, the uh, online art gallery, you know. Right, so you'll so, find portraits, you'll find um, objects, the abstraction of, of what they're trying to create. Um, and we also display histories of painters from history and past. So those were very community-oriented. For example, our tied to the indigenous Taino community, which um, is, is, is infamous for being the Indians that greeted Columbus when he, he arrived. So those paintings are still uh, still in existence, mm. or people are recreating those images, capturing the community, or during um, um, uh, the the plantation era, where you'll find a mixture that we call Afro Latinos, right? Because of uh, the the inbreeding of of uh, soldiers from Spain um, that many can trace the roots of of being you know the products of right yeah right. the uh, the uh, the online Latino art gallery it's a component of the Buffalo Latino Village it does have its own website so yes. you could go to the Buffalo Latino Village dot com and be able to see all the artwork uh, in that web page we do have uh, resources. Uh, where our Latino artists can go to and find out who's who in the Latino art community, learn about uh, past artists, uh, you know. So there, there's a whole spectrum of things that uh, they could learn. Okay. Yeah, How we're always that, looking but, for more. Yeah, we're, right. always, we're, we're inviting, you know, we said, hey. So it's a great way to get exposed. Absolutely. Yeah, we have, yeah. like, for any example. Cost? Is there any cost to it or for no, the exposure? No, oh, they, wow. Well, there's no yeah. cost in general, but they, uh, for us to be able to maintain oh, gotcha. uh, the Latino Village and the art gallery, the uh, the arrangements we make with the artists is that they, they give us the images. We don't take the original. We take the images. Uh, they give us permission to market, promote, and sell the images. Ah, okay. So we do that. Uh, if people buy the images, we they get royalties. Okay. Okay. They get royalties. If we happen to exhibit, they work in a physical place. That once of uh, so they the the uh, the cost is split. The uh, the artist gets his royalty, and then there's a commission that the uh, the uh, the uh, the location we have the art gets. Sure. And, uh, then we get the rest to maintain. For the cost and labor of maintaining the art gallery in the Buffalo Latino Village. How much success have you had uh, in terms of uh, moving to, or helping to uh, sell some of this or sell some of these images? The images sell for twenty dollars. Okay, and, if, and, and you've had success doing it. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes, yeah, we have some success. I mean, not great success. Of course, but yeah, but you can see the growth in the village. It's the same way the Buffalo Latino Village right. grew from uh, from four to twelve pages. Right, right. We grew from two artists to twenty artists, right. and they're still getting more. Right. You know. Yeah, and, I uh, think a lot of people don't know we exist. Right. And we, well, and exactly. we are, well, hopefully now a couple more. And the artists were happy <laughs> that we, we we pay royalties every every November. You know, okay. so they were they were happy to get royalties. You know, sure. So. Yeah, but that basically that's it. We we they give us permission to market, promote, and sell the images. If uh, anyone is interested in the original work, we put them directly in contact with the buyer. We don't handle or deal with the with right. the original. You right. Know. 
Okay. How how much have you gotten to know some of these artists? Have you gotten Have you been able to get to know some of these artists? Uh, I know the local artists. Yeah. What can I we get? What can you tell I me? I haven't I haven't met the the uh, out of town out of town artists, ones. Yeah. You know. But uh, you know they they they're happy to be part of the operation. They're they they they're happy that they're getting that exposure that they have a platform now to uh, to uh, to share their work. Yeah, especially the young artists, they'll yeah. just send an email or through social media saying, "Hey, I'm interested in, in uh, working or partnering for my art piece," and we invite them, and then you know they understand. We send them how the program works, and that's from that. But some of our artists usually will stop in if we have a a, a free open public exhibit, just to at least meet um, the spectators or the audience that comes through. So we encourage that. Um, so there is against the generational gap between young artists who just want to communicate right. through email, phone call, or text, and then um, uh, the older generation that says, "I want to meet my um, people or or engage with them." Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I was going to say that the, the uh, we're talking about the other uh, Museo and Artista de Bajio that we really need to to reach out to them and work together. Right. Uh, to enhance the work of the uh, Latino artists. The more we work together, uh, the better it is for the, uh, for the artists. Yeah. You know. So you can go online to... Uh, you go to Buffalo Latino ArtGallery.com. Oh, so it's separate. Buffalo, Buffalo Latino ArtGallery.com. Okay. And you have access to all the, uh, the work, uh, the history of uh, Latino art. Uh, you learn about, for example, you learn about the, uh, the uh, Campeche, who was one of the greatest Puerto Rican artists... Uh, in the world, you know, many, very few people know about him. I, I, <laughs> you know, I don't think you'd see that in my face. His but work yeah. is all over Europe, you know. And uh, so we, we try to also bring that education information to, to young people. So, yeah, so if, you know, yeah, you have to visit the website to get an idea of, of what it's of, all the about. The fruits that are there. Yeah. You know, what, what did, I guess, uh, what inspired you to, to, to do this? Well, I'm a writer, I'm a poet. Uh, done poetry readings in New York City along together with artists. And I always know that uh, when it comes to being an artist or a writer, you, you, well, he's you're being starving. Modest. He used to paint too, <laughs> according to his daughter. His oh, daughter is one I of the remember, artists. Yeah, oh. but I, I don't remember that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I, don't think we, I don't think we talked since we went on the air that you, you, you had a seizure and you lost, I had a, a, seizure, lost uh, a significant York, amount of yeah. your memory. I was involved in... Uh, Economic Development Committee there. They developed a concept called La Fortaleza Concept in New York City when I lived in East Harlem. And La Fortaleza Concept was uh, business economic development but with, a, with a, an art theme so that if you dedicate an area or zone area uh, for economic development uh, to benefit the local businesses, you would focus on art in the area and you develop operations where you bring in the artists, the poet, the artists, the photographers to perform, to entertain. And if you do it in that specific zone area where you have the local Latino businesses, you're, ge you're generating increasing consumer traffic. Right. So that helps the local businesses. So there they'll be able to see real economic development. You know. Right. Okay. So during that time I had my seizure, uh, I lost 40% of my memory. And uh, that's when my daughters went to New York City and told me, Papa, you have to go back to Buffalo. <laughs> no if and buts. <laughs> right. And I also like to remind you uh, that you and your team created a mural here in Buffalo for the NFTA. 
Oh, that's right. That's right. I did hear that story. It was, it's at the, the station that went uh, was renovated, right? Uh, oh, well, yeah, that, yeah. That's when I when I when I when you lived were here, here originally, in, yeah, in Buffalo. Yeah, I was doing the early '80s. Okay. Uh, the The whole process for the mural started in '82, uh, and uh, it was put together. But then I left in '85. Yeah, and. Um, what else can I say about the mule? Well, the mule was taken down. Right, it was due taken to down. Construction. Yeah, the, uh, was the, the Allen Street? Uh, the and Allen then knowing it yeah. was taken yeah. down, was never put back up. You right. Know, I, uh, I'm looking into that, uh, doing some research because I was I was informed uh, by a community planner that the uh, any art piece that's part of public building, uh, number one, if they're going to take it down, they have to inform you, uh, let you know. Um, and uh, secondly, if the art piece is a public piece, they if they take it down, they have to put it back up. I'm still researching that, you know, to what extent is that true? Right. Uh, what's the logic to that? And if it's true, I'm, I need a, a, a pro bono lawyer because I don't have any money you know, <laughs> to take the case. Because also one, one of the things that uh, to realize is that from all the art pieces in each of the subway station, from all of the pieces, we were the only piece they took down. So there's racial implication mm. that it's the only Latino piece, art piece, that was taken down. All the other black and white pieces, they still up there, still intact. Mm. Okay. We're coming so that's down. something to look at. Right. <laughs> Maybe another show we can do that. Uh, we're coming down to the final uh, couple of minutes here uh, with uh, uh, Solomon Joseph and also Alberto Capas. And uh, I'll ask each of you. I'll start with you, Alberto. Um, what's next for Buffalo Latino Village? What's next? Next is we're concentrating on the Speakers Bureau mm -hmm. and the uh, identifying other Latino writers uh, so we can get them published. To stay away from that vanity press, we said <laughs> save money because we don't we don't charge. Okay. okay, we we charge a little bit just for the labor and the cost. Right. But other than that, we're not in it for the money. We right. need to generate and enhance uh, uh, Latino talent and artwork. The uh, the other thing is uh, we're thinking about uh, sponsoring the first annual uh, Latino book fair because mm. for. If you see the first page of the uh, Latino Village, right. there's ten there's ten local Latino writers, you know, and we want to introduce those writers to the city of Buffalo, okay, and also provide a platform for these writers. So we're gonna talking about uh, working together with Ebate Puerto Rican Center to sponsor the first annual Festival del Libro Festival of Books. Nice. How about uh, so? Those see, are three projects that we work. That's, 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 that's a lot of what's next. So I guess the final thing uh, for for you, Solomon, yeah. uh, uh, what's going to move you forward? Oh, move yes. you forward? Absolutely. Yeah. And I did hint to that um, earlier um, in the show yeah. about a multicultural celebration event. The first one I've hosted was in 2018. Mm. Within six months of just moving in here, to really collect uh, the makeup of Buffalo, and now it's going to be held on March 9th at Buffalo State in the Student Union, and nice. we're going to have. Uh, the Puerto Rican drum and dance, the African drum and dance, the Bollywood drum and dance, the Polish drum and dance, and the indigenous um, dance groups. Wow. So those five groups combined to really take a, a big step forward from the show we, we first hosted with the Native American Community Services on February 9th 
from uh, 3 to 6 p.m. at the student union. March 9th? Yes. March 9th. Okay, very good. All right. Well, uh, gentlemen, I, I appreciate your, your time uh, being with us today. Thanks for being on What's Next. Thank you. Thank you, Jay. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Our guest today, the publisher of Buffalo Latino Village, Alberto Capas, and the editor, Solomon Joseph, with us on What's Next. This is What's Next on WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown, your NPR station.